Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane. Drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz is only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to a postseason edition of Hive Talk Live Thursdays brought to you by ESPN 730 on at com. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. We are live in the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. It's never been more beautiful, Justin, because it's now a, a city that will host at least two playoff games. I'm Doug Branson, joined by my co-host and good friend, Justin Thomas from ESPN 730. Justin, how are you, my man? I'm great. It's Thursday, and you yeah. know the playoffs are, are right around the corner. I, I don't think—a lot of people like March Madness and say they think that's the best time of the year, but me, I'm an NBA guy, and I think the NBA playoffs are— are phenomenal so I'm, I'm very excited to watch a bunch of basketball going forward i'm excited about this show we have a big one coming up michael wallace joins us uh he's a writer for espn.com he covers the miami heat he's going to join us to help scout this team and spencer percy former host of hive talk live and, and current editor of queen city hoops joins us at 6 40 to discuss what the hornets should be focusing on if they want to have a chance to move on to the second round where they could face either the Toronto Raptors or the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Our playoff schedule coming up will be a little funky. I'm not going to promise Tuesday and Thursday we could shift the days around a little bit as things happen, just like last time the Hornets were in the play, or then Bobcats were in the playoffs. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at HiveTalkLive for all the showtimes. We'll be all over it. Don't worry, plenty of shows out there. The Hive O'Clock Alarm will definitely keep you updated. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app to get shows uploaded to your mobile device of choice. And with that, let's swarm postseason style, Charlotte. Again, Michael Wallace from ESPN.com will be joining us in about uh, 15 to 20 minutes. But first, I want to get you caught up on what you need to know. The Charlotte Hornets ended the season with 48 wins with that victory over Orlando on Wednesday. And uh, through a a series of happenings, they ended up in a four-way tie with Atlanta, Boston, and Miami. By virtue of tiebreakers and and what I'm told were, were several intense games of shoots and ladders, the Hornets ended up being the sixth seed and will play the Miami Heat in the first round. Game one is Sunday at Miami, 5.30 p.m. on, get this, Justin, TNT. That's big time. A broadcast network. Thanks, D-Wade. Not on NBA TV. If the Hornets win this series, again, they would play the winner of the Toronto Raptors-Indiana Pacers uh, 2-7 matchup. No reseeding in the NBA, Justin. There was a little bit of a confusion in my section on Wednesday night. A few arguments broke out, uh, fisticuffs were thrown, but uh, cooler heads finally prevailed, and we decided, no, there is in fact not reseeding in the NBA playoffs. They just they just play it out, same as March Madness. If you end up playing an 11 seed, that's just how it is. Uh, so, there you go. Before we get into, we're going to talk a ton about the Miami Heat and the Hornets and this Hornets Heat series, but before we do that, I just wanted to take an, a moment to reflect on how we got here the Hornets uh, after turning over almost half of their roster and losing their first three games the Hornets weathered injuries to Al Jefferson Nick Batum Cody Zeller the return and subsequent re-injury of Michael Kidd Gilchrist to finish the season with 48 victories that's the franchise's highest win total since the end of the 1999-2000 season time for a history lesson that season saw a starting lineup of David Wesley uh, uh, David Walker's uh, one of David Walker's favorites, uh, Eddie Jones, Anthony Mason, Derek Coleman, and center 
Eldon Campbell. I still own an Eldon Campbell beanie baby. It was Baron Davis's rookie season. It was also the year that the Hornets lost budding star and now a retired jersey for Bobby Phils. Lost Bobby to an automobile accident. Very, a very tragic thing that happened to the Hornets franchise. Uh, so the season was a little marred by that. The Hornets would finish with the fourth seed but go down to the Philadelphia 76ers 3-1 to in four games, led by a recent Hall of Fame inductee, Allen Iverson. But uh, this season, the, of course, Hornets fans hoping that the Hornets can uh, overcome that that first round that they haven't been able to overcome in a long time since uh, the what the two thousand one two thousand two season. And uh, we'll we'll talk a lot about how they're going to do that. But but first, I wanted to just think back on some of our favorite moments, Justin, because this has been an exciting season. I mean, forty eight wins. Offensive rating for the team of 107. So many three-pointers. They they rank, it, it was a season that ranked in the top 10 all-time NBA in three-pointers made. The The offense was exciting. At times, the defense struggled. And other times, you know, they, they pulled off 10 steals in one game. Uh, this has been a really fun team to watch. So I want to ask the question, and, and I'd love to pose this to, to the listeners as well. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. At Hive Talk Live, tell us about your favorite moment, or your favorite game, or your favorite memory from this 2015-2016 uh, Hornets season. Justin, I, I ask you this question first. I'd love to hear your your favorite game, your favorite moment, your favorite memory covering the team this season. This wasn't easy. I, I had to, I had to go back and you know go through the archive and, and see what what games that I, that I truly enjoy. There were three games. Two I saw in person and one I had to watch on the screen. And I had to just go with the Hornets winning in Orlando and ending their 10-game losing streak. Okay, that's a good one. I like that. I was When you said you initially walked into the studio and said, okay, I, got, I have my game. It's a Hornets victory over Orlando. I was like, what? Over Orlando? Really? Yes. Like That's your... Phenomenal. I mean, that was a game there was no... Nick Batum, no Cody Zeller, or Al Jefferson. And you say, uh, they say uh, big time players, you know, play well in big time games. And Kimball Walker went for 40 points on 50% shooting, played 48 minutes, and the greatest stat of all, he only had two turnovers. This game gave you frustration, joy, and it kept you on the edge of your seat, specifically. You know, in the fourth quarter, going to overtime, phenomenal game. Uh, that was a great game, and it and it comes really during a stretch that Clifford has referenced a few times. There was the overtime win against uh, the Utah Jazz, where Kimball Walker had his fifty point game. Then the loss to the Thunder. Then that o- overtime win against Orlando, where Kimba scored forty plus, and then a, a victory over the the Knicks, ninety seven eighty four. And then on to my favorite moment. In fact, it inspired one of the best titles for any Hive Talk Live episode ever. And that was January 25th, 2016. The Hornets traveled to Sacramento after those two overtime games that I just mentioned. And again, no Nick Batum, uh, no Jeremy Lamb, no Cody Zeller, no Al Jefferson. So you're missing... Uh, three starters and one player in Jeremy Lamb who was playing very well, and I would I would coin it for the show. I would coin it the miracle after midnight because this game was played in Sacramento. It was already going to be a late finish. I, I think it tipped off around ten o'clock, so it was going to be a late finish anyhow. Uh, but this game ended up going into double overtime. The Hornets win one twenty nine, one twenty eight, and I called it the miracle after midnight. Not only because they were missing four really good players, but they were missing both Zeller and Jefferson against DeMarcus Cousins, who was playing dominant basketball at this point in the season. He finished the game with 56 points, 12 rebounds against the Hornets. And here's what made it a miracle, though. You get to the end of the game, pretty close game still. The Hornets could pull this out. They have enough offensive weapons, and you know Sacramento is a, is a mess defensively. But then Spencer Hawes fouls out with five seconds left to go in regulation. Walker gets fouled with an opportunity to go up one with, uh, I think, less than a second to go. 
and he misses the second free throw. So now you're down to Marvin Williams, Tyler Hansbrough, and Frank Kaminsky in your front court, okay? They get into the first overtime. Within two minutes of the first overtime, Justin, Marvin Williams and Tyler Hansbrough foul out. My God. Now you're going up against Cousins, who has been in the zone all game, dominating it physically. Not taking, I mean, he's taking a few jump shots at this point, but he's he's looking to get inside and bang and hurt. And that's where a lot of those fouls came from. So now you're left with Frank Kaminsky at center and P.J. Hairston for the remaining three minutes of overtime against not only DeMarcus Cousins, but then you look beside him and there's Willie Cauley-Stein, who is a seven-footer. A tree. Yeah, capable of scoring if you give him the right matchup. And certainly, you know, it took several Hornets together with P.J. Hairston to guard Willie Cauley-Stein. And they somehow get it to a second overtime and then, of course, if you listen to the show, The Miracle After Midnight, it also inspired the game winner by Troy Daniels inspired one of the greatest calls in Hornets, dare I say, NBA play-by-play history. You know what it is, folks. Troy Daniels! <laughs> we always play, you know, we always play the how do you do. And we never fully appreciate the. I won't do it because look, I'm on. I'm on the air five days out of the week. I can't do that to my voice. I don't know how Eric needs to teach me. Eric Collins needs to teach me his secrets. How he gets that voice back in shape He's after full of energy, too. screaming. Yeah, but but we don't appreciate the Troy, the extended Troy Daniels scream that he lets out as. The place just goes insane. After the game, Troy Daniels said, we just didn't want it. We had to go for three. We did not want it because they were they they were down two at that point after a couple of, uh, I believe, Collie Stein free throws. And Troy hits that three from deep. Deep. It was deep. It was not, and it was a little off balance. It was a little shaky, but it was nothing but net. And the Hornets pull off the miracle after midnight. Absolutely. And again, it's in a stretch where you talk. Okay. So they had, they were on, uh, they, they weren't on quite a 10 game losing streak. They had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They had lost nine of 10 heading into that Utah Jazz victory in, in, uh, in overtime, the one that Kimball Walker scored 50. So they were, but they were losing a lot of games. And this could have been the point in the season. And they were coming up against Utah. They were coming into that game uh, six games under 500. They get the win against Utah. They get the win against the Magic, the Knicks, and then they string together three straight victories with that miracle after midnight, and they move to one game back of 500. It was a pivotal moment of the season, a triumphant moment of the season. And, you know, a lot of teams go through that. Even really good teams, even teams full of talent will go through moments when Two or three guys are ailing. And, you know, it, it It was a testament in my mind to how the Hornets set them up, set themselves up with depth. And, you know, you, you may not end up seeing a lot of Troy Daniels or Jeremy Lamb or Tyler Hansbrough in the playoffs, but whatever success the Hornets end up having in the playoffs, some of that credit has to go to those guys that filled in during this time when the Hornets absolutely needed them most. I agree. Um, actually, you know what? I think these were really two good games. They both went into overtime because the win in Orlando, that ended their 10-game road losing streak. And Oh, 10-game road losing streak. Yeah. Okay, okay. And even you, sp- you spoke on Troy Daniels. Troy Daniels, I believe, had 17 in Orlando that game. Like Sometimes you have to call on unlikely heroes to step up and make plays because when I was thinking, I was like, there's no way the Hornets are, are going – are going to to win this game. I mean, the way the Magic play and the Hornets are, are just down, you know, to to buys. They don't usually play for significant minutes. And there, um, I remember Kimball was quoted telling Clifford that, you know, I'm not coming out. He played the entire fourth quarter, going into overtime, and 
Mm-hmm. You know, you you need that. Like Kimba's a, a guy that, that wants to win. He wants to win bad, and he's going to do whatever it takes, whether it's defense, whether it's scoring, whether it's distributing. He wants to do everything that, that he can do to win. And winning on the road is very important. If you can't win on the road, you can't really compete. And I thought that was – this team has been confident all year, but I think winning that game without some of their best players, I think that bode extremely well for their confidence going forward. And again – after oh and I, I i forgot to mention the the really pivotal moment in that second overtime when uh thank you Zach Zarba the referee for giving DeMarcus Cousins his sixth foul on an Get offensive out. it was a questionable offensive foul but the hornets would absolutely take it and that really set the tone for the rest because look it, it, this game was decided by three or four scores that happened within the the last half of that first overtime and the entire second overtime it was bad basketball because both teams the Hornets were road weary Sacramento was coming off a back-to-back like both teams were just dead tired neither team wanted to go to a triple overtime and you know it's fine you know I watch a lot of NBA basketball and you know, you see two teams coming off a back-to-back and they'll go into overtime and you go man they don't really look tired they look like they're playing their normal brand of basketball and it's because i mean these are elite athletes you know they'll, they'll show it after the game after the game they'll just be beat but that adrenaline running but this was a rare game where you go okay <laughs> like every right. every single player on the floor right now is struggling to get a good shot up and it was just the, the miracle after midnight those are it games just, you're not gonna forget I, i'll never forget it because again i stayed up for the entire thing and so, you know, I was delirious by the end of it. I wasn't sure I was actually still watching basketball if I if it was all just a weird fever dream. But it was real. The Hornets got the victory. And that is my favorite. Uh, that's my favorite moment of the year. It was beautiful. Nothing hurt. Did you post it on Twitter about what, what the uh, listeners thought? Because I think those are really two good games. I think those are really good games. And probably everybody probably didn't even get to see Troy Daniels knock down that game winner. Like, those were... Those are, those are really good games. I, you know, even I even struggled with. Um, I didn't. I ha, I ultimately went with Kimba, but I definitely went back and forth on the Cavs win and the Spurs win because when Jeremy Lin goes for buckets, it's so exciting. He's gonna make at least two or three shots that you're gonna like. No, don't take, don't take. He finds a way to make it. The crowd is in it. It's it's phenomenal. You always get the Linsanity tweets and everybody's high fiving. So whenever Jeremy Lin goes for buckets. It's always exciting. Well, there were several players on this team this season that were capable of hitting baskets or making plays, making a pass when you just you didn't expect it. I mean, Nick Batum has hit some of the toughest shots we've seen in years. Jeremy Lin, same way. The way he, he and, and Kimba Walker, he had that exciting spin move on Wednesday going to the cup. I that mean, one just was these, hot. That was nice. Just these moments that are that are just outstanding, and and it's been like I said, it's been a fun season because those moments have really been you know littered throughout the entire season, and it shows. I think that they haven't always been the most physical team, but they've always been a team with a ton of heart. They haven't always been a team that can come out in the first quarter with their best effort but they're going to be a team that gives their best effort in the fourth quarter when 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 moments matter most this team has been able to to step it up and and you certainly you can't say that for every team and you can't say that for every season you certainly couldn't have said that for the Hornets last season and this has just been a really a really cool team to watch, a really special team to watch. Do you have a regular season MVP? Could you could you make that call right now? I think you could, but I feel like it just it wasn't just one person. I I, I feel like there were just so many guys because you could say you could say Kimba, you could say Marvin. Um, I, I guess I don't think you could say Batum, but I guess you could probably make an argument for him. I don't. I don't think you could just go with one guy. I don't think there was a guy that was just like head and shoulders that kind of did so much. I, I, no, I think that's a good point. Maybe it's a good question to ask Spencer Percy later on the show. But uh, first, we got to get to the Hive Talk Live hotline uh, for our first guest. Uh, Michael Wallace writes on uh, the Miami Heat for ESPN dot com. You can find him on Twitter at my Mike Check. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Great to be on with you. Mike, it's it's been a while. How's everything going down there for you? 
Man, it's it's hey, look, it's Miami, it's sunshine, <laughs> it's sand, you know, you're never too far away from the water, you know, um <laughs> beautiful women, great food, you know, great diversity, man. I, I even if I wanted to complain about anything in Miami, I still couldn't. Oh, that sounds amazing. You, you know, since since I can't complain, seeing I'm in Charlotte and not in South Beach, I'm just going to try not to think of the perks of, of South Beach and, and just talk a little basketball because that would make me feel much better. In your, in your latest piece that you have up <laughs> on ESPN.com, you talk about there hasn't been anything normal about this season for the Heat. What would you say has been abnormal about this season? Well, wow. Where where do you want to start, man, with these guys? I think, you know, number one, they were coming off of a season last year where they didn't make the playoffs, um, which was the first time that happened in five years because they had made four straight trips to the finals with LeBron James and, you know, won two championships. So, you know, just the fact that they opened training camp coming off of a losing season was something that, you know, hadn't happened in quite a while for the Miami Heat. Secondly, they opened training camp you know, away from their arena. You know, they went about 40 miles north to uh, Boca Raton and had a, a training camp up there. So they got away from their normal environment. And then you just go from there, man, just the new faces, you know, Amari Stoudemire, you know, Gerald Green, some of those guys. And then then you had the adversity of, you know, Chris Bosh working his way back from the blood class that cost him last year. And then at the All-Star break, he had another setback, you know, and he hasn't been back since. So between that you know, losing assistant coach Keith Askins twice during the season uh, for long absences as he treats skin cancer, um, two trades, you know, a, a rookie coming out of nowhere and being the best three-point shooter in the league in the month of March. You know, they they just injuries. They've just had some so many, you know, losing three guys to season-ending injuries or illnesses. There's just been so much up and down with the Miami Heat in terms of adversity and things they had to play through. And, and for them to go through all of that, um, you know, allowed them to look at the season as a whole pretty quickly after getting that, you know, that embarrassing loss in Boston uh, out of their system pretty fast. You guys made a that he made a big move during during the uh, trade deadline and and brought in Joe Johnson, a guy that didn't look too happy in Brooklyn and and didn't play extremely well, didn't shoot the ball too well, and and now they're in the playoffs at the three seed. What what has Joe Johnson brought to this team? You know, Joe bought this is what this Joe came aboard March first. Um, you know, two weeks after you know Chris Bosh left the lineup, and yeah, you know, Joe didn't replace Bosh in terms of the kind of player. I mean, you're talking about one guy being, you know, a six seven, you know, perimeter jump shooter type guy, um, and and Chris Bosh being in his you know the latter stages of his prime as a perennial All Star, um, who's six eleven. But what Joe did do was he replaced the, the Bosch's ability to come up with 25-point games here and there uh, to be able to knock down three-point shots you know, in, in, in timely fashion with the offense. And just another veteran voice in that locker room that Dwayne Wade can trust and turn to. And, and Joe gave them all of that. And, and Joe also got from Miami an opportunity to walk right into a starting position and have a, a, a tremendous impact right off the bat. So, you know, it was both sides got something out of that, even though Joe sacrificed a lot of money um, and a couple, you know, some, some teams offered him multiple seasons. Uh, he came to Miami for basically the veterans minimum for the rest of the season after being brought out by Brooklyn. So, you know, he's, he's, he's definitely boosted this team in terms of veteran experience, um, you know, leadership and the ability to knock down big shots to take over games in the fourth quarter. <laughs> You know, Michael, a, a lot of people talk about how playoff basketball ends up turning into more of an isolation game than a ball movement game that you see in the regular season. Do you think that's a reason why Miami looked uh, towards Joe Johnson uh, to pick him up, to take that risk, even though he had not played well in Brooklyn? And, and do you buy into that? Do you think Joe Johnson can be an asset for Miami in terms of his isolation play? I think he can be an asset. I, everyone knows what he is. I mean, you know, you know what you're getting in Joe Johnson. You're not going to get the guy that, you know, was from five, six years ago who was putting up 24, 25 points every single night, you know, carrying your offense and, and, and being, you know, basically the anchor of, of an offense. But all he has to do is do it in, in, in stages when Dwayne Wade doesn't have it going. You know what I mean? So Joe basically, it's like if you combine Dwayne Wade and Joe Johnson into one player, then you have a version of either one of them basically on, on you know in the back end of their prime now that you have both of them you need one of them to take maybe the third quarter while the other one rests and you need the other one to take over in the fourth quarter 
uh, to give you a shot to win the game at the end. And, and as long as they sort of alternate those roles, um, they've been fine. It worked the previous night uh, in Detroit where Joe scored, you know, what, 14 or 15 of his 25 points in the fourth quarter to get that win over the Pistons. Um, it didn't work, you know, last night when they were trying to get it done against the uh, – you know, against the Boston Celtics. So, you know, those guys were playing on dead legs. They're veterans. They're 14, 15 years in for Joe, you know, 13 years in for Dwayne Wade. So some nights it's just not going to be there, but most nights they feel like they can get it done in the playoffs. We're talking with Michael Wallace, NBA writer of ESPN.com. Speaking of Dwayne Wade, if you would have asked me that Dwayne Wade would have been able to play 75 games, I would have laughed that there was no way I saw this happening. How was Wade able to, to one, stay healthy and actually stay healthy and, and play well this season? Well, his minutes are down. If you look at Dwayne Wade's stats overall, you know, this is statistically his worst season, um, his least productive season, I would say, um, uh, since his rookie year or some, possibly of his entire career uh, in some categories. His scoring is down. His rebounding is, is down. Assists are down. His shooting percentage is down. Uh, and his minutes are down. So, you know, basically what, what they've done is figured out a way to reduce Dwayne Wade's minutes, keep him healthy, and give him a couple nights off every now and then, you know, when he needed something, when he needed a break. And, and I think that's what's helped this team uh, from that standpoint. He, he knows, you know, that he, he can't afford to push his body to certain points. He backs off and, and he gets treatment some days. And for him to play 75, he told me last night, hey, man, that was my goal. You know, and I knew that was the goal. I thought I thought it was more like seventy, or you know, closer to seventy-two or seventy. Um, he would never tell me at the beginning of the season, even though I knew he had a number in mind. I wrote this earlier in the season that, you know, he had all, when he got off to his most healthy start of the season by playing in I think twenty of the first twenty-two games or twenty-one games. You know, you knew that he was really, really pushing to try to be available for his team and to get the seventy-four games. He fell one short of his goal because he sat out one night to be with his son who was hospitalized that night. Um, you know, it, it speaks volumes for Dwayne and where he stands going into this season where he'll be, he'll be looking for another contract. You mentioned his numbers are down, Michael. Do, do you see that as a, a performance dip and just sort of a natural progression of a player getting older? Or do you see him deferring a little bit to some of the younger wings that the Miami Heat have added this season with Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow? Is is he actively evolving his own role on this team? And, and do you think that that will hold in the playoffs? Yeah, he, basically what you have in, in Miami now is a team that, you know, you got four or five guys each night that are capable of, of being the leading scorer. And Dwayne wasn't necessarily accustomed to that last year. It didn't work. Um, he wasn't as willing to, to sort of give up, um, you know, the more dominant role. But when you look at, you know, there have been nights when, you know, going Dragic has had big games. Joe Johnson has let him in scoring before. You know, um, Luol Deng has had games where he's been the leading scorer. You know, there was a couple times where, you know, even a guy like a Gerald Green came out of nowhere and led you in scoring. Hassan Whiteside has had some pretty big 20-point games and 25-point games here and there. So, you know, Dwayne doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting every single time. He's fine with giving up, you know, maybe three or four shots uh, a game this year that he was taking last year in order to get other guys involved. So I think that, that that's been a slow process. I think he's trusting this team a little bit more as the, as the season went on and, and it's paying off for those guys because now they have confidence. Miami's going to have four or five live weapons on the court at all times because guys aren't afraid to take big shots and feel like they're stepping on Dwayne Wade's toes. You, you touched on confidence and in your piece, you referenced, you know, despite losing to Boston last night, that the team was in good spirits. I know last night being in the locker room after Charlotte was able to win, they were extremely confident. And you could all, you would almost get a sense as if they were looking forward to playing Miami. From from your end, how, yeah. confident, it, how confident is uh, Miami facing Charlotte in the playoffs? You know, I, I tell you what, those two teams uh, split. I think they went 2-2 uh, this season, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I tell you what, man, you know, the way Charlotte beat Miami the last time they played them, you know, here in Miami, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, coming back from a 15-point deficit uh, in the first half and basically just running away from Miami, that's cause for concern. I, I've told – and I've written this. I've, I've gone on radio shows in Miami and nationally, and I've said, you know, at first I thought Boston was the, was the biggest challenge to Miami in terms of those potential first-round matchups. But about three weeks ago – 
I, I switched and I said, you know what, man, it's, it really is Charlotte. And the reason why is because now, granted, Charlotte would have a much better shot if they had home court advantage. Uh, Miami is go- Miami will be the you know the pick to win the series uh, because of that largely. But you know Charlotte does three things uh, that should give Miami cause for concern. Number one, they can shoot the three, and and they're the Eastern Conference version of the Golden State Warriors when it comes to you know shooting the three at any point in the game from any distance. They can do that. They don't shoot it as prolifically as, as Golden State. But they certainly have set franchise records this year of their own shooting the three ball. And the three ball gives Miami's problems because it allows teams to get back in games quickly or pull away from you quickly. Number two, they're so versatile in terms of guys that they can be interchangeable with. Um, in a way, it's almost like Miami's looking in the mirror. Because when you have Batum, I know he has he had the ankle injury and he, you know, he has to be healthy in order for them to have a shot to win this series. But you got Batum. You know, you obviously got Courtney Lee, who's a veteran defender, and Marvin Williams, and you can rotate those guys. Those guys can defend three positions, basically, um, each one of them. And when you can switch on everything, that's going to give Miami problems when you have that versatility offensively and defensively. And number three, Al Jefferson is not intimidated by the Hassan Whiteside matchup. Al Jefferson gets up into Hassan's body. He puts that big butt on him. He puts those big hips on him and swings him around. And he's able to get his shot off in crafty enough fashions where Hassan uh, can't block him. He can't block the shot. So, you know, that could be, that could bowl, you know, pretty well for Charlotte and be a problem for Miami because if Hassan Whiteside is in foul trouble, then Miami really doesn't have another option at center that's going to be anywhere near productive uh, defensively or offensively as, as Hassan Whiteside. All right, let's stick with Hassan Whiteside because he's my he's my hometown guy, pride of Gastonia, North Carolina. I have to talk about him for a moment. Yeah, uh, his role has changed a few times this season. He started, uh, he he's come off the bench, and now it appears that Eric Spolstra has him starting again, heading into the playoffs. How does his return to starting center affect the rest of the Heat rotation? And do you think it's possible that his role could change again mid series? Um, that's a great question, man. I think if he if he struggles early in the series, um, and, and it looks better, well, see, that's the thing. I mean, because Al Jefferson isn't starting yet, right? He's still he's still coming off the bench, correct? Right? So if Al Jefferson is still coming off the bench, then Hassan might stay in the starting lineup, um, just to sort of negate and limit some of the minutes that he may have to face Jefferson. But Eric Spolstra hasn't hesitated before in, in, in any round of the playoffs, including the NBA Finals, to tweak his starting lineup. He did it when they played the Spurs a couple of years ago. You know, he's done it, you know, several times. He, he did it uh, probably a couple of times um, just over the course of the, their four straight NBA Finals runs. So he's not afraid to, to shift guys and, and, and throw a monkey wrench into the lineup just to throw a team off or to sort of, you know, fire up his own guys. But, you know, I think Hassan knows – that he needs to be involved, and and he's going to demand more involvement offensively. The Miami Heat wants him to dictate this series defensively. So if they can sort of meet in the middle, then you have a happy Hassan. If you don't give him the basketball, he might not, you know, <laughs> he he might not, you know, buy completely into the game plan in terms of what you want him to do defensively. If you can't involve him offensively, so it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting series to see how this thing unfolds. They say basketball. It is a game of matchups. I think this series offers three to four, maybe even five possible good matchups to look for. Is there a particular matchup that you're looking forward to seeing? You know, I, there are a couple of them. There are a couple. Of, I, I want to see Al Jefferson and, and, and Saul Whiteside. I want to see what happens there first and foremost. Um, once you get past that, I, I think this series, and, and you know, Courtney Lee is not going to necessarily outplay Dwayne Wade, but Courtney Lee certainly has to be you know, he's a guy that can disappear on you in big moments in the playoffs. And, you know, again, I covered Courtney in Memphis uh, during their run last year. He certainly had some moments where you were like, wow, this guy is really, really carrying, you know, his weight. And then there are other moments where you're like, man, where is this guy? You know, so it's either feast or famine for him in the playoffs. So that's going to be another uh, intriguing matchup. But, you know, after Hassan and Al Jefferson, the swing matchup to me in this series how this series this series will hinge on which one of these guys is more productive on both ends of the court between Luol Deng and Marvin Williams at sort of that stretch four position. Whichever one of those guys can impact the game the most as maybe the third option, 
I think that can that can really swing the series one way or another. All right, before we let you get out of here, who wins this series and why? I think it's a seven game series, um, and, and I think Miami wins it because just because they have home court. That's a, that's a cop out type pick because you're basically picking chalk. Um, but I certainly can see Charlotte making this a, a very very interesting series. What I just don't want to happen is I don't want an injury to dictate one way or another. The last couple times Miami played Charlotte, Al Jefferson. Uh, you know, had the knee one year and had the plantar fasciitis in the foot the other year. And that really drastically affected the city. They weren't going to beat Miami because that was the big three Miami with LeBron. But I really want to see Charlotte stay healthy and really show the progress that they've made in the regular season and let that translate in the postseason. But I'll go Miami and seven strictly because they all ended up with 48 and 34 records, but Miami got the tiebreaker for other reasons, and they have that extra game at home, and I think that's going to be the uh, the difference in the series. I know it was short notice, but definitely thank you for coming on and, and talking with us, and it was a pleasure. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Hopefully I'll see you guys uh, up there in Charlotte next weekend. Oh, I will be there, my man. I will be there. Absolutely. Michael uh, Wallace uh, writes on the Miami Heat for ESPN.com. Check him out on Twitter at MyMikeCheck, M-I-K-E. Good stuff there. Uh, very good stuff. Very good stuff. Great insight. I I, I agree. I, I think not only Luol Ding versus Marvin Williams, but also let's talk about what Luol Ding did to Frank Kaminsky in that last matchup. I mean, Luol, I'm telling you, Eric Spolstra is a sneaky coaching tactician, and he has several pieces in this lineup, and it certainly hurts them that they don't have Chris Bosh. That that has put a, a little bit of a, a, a damper on this series because when you start Hassan Whiteside – then it's like, who do you start at, at the backup center position? Your choices are Amari Stoudemire or Josh McRoberts. And I know that sounds silly, but they, st- I mean, Josh McRoberts was essentially their starting five, or their back, excuse me, their backup five in that game against Boston. And Boston made runs when McRoberts was out there as one of their second bigs. So it presents a problem. But when he, when, uh, when Spolster was able to use the wall ding on Frank Kaminsky, it really shut down what Kaminsky could give the team off the bench and and really because Lowell Ding was able to get by Frank Kaminsky on the offensive end anytime he wanted to so it it really frustrated Frank and kind of got him out of any kind of rhythm that he could have but um, I love the stuff that he said on Hassan Whiteside here's the interesting thing and I'd love to get to your thoughts on this Justin about Hassan Whiteside so basically from what I gather it, it seems like the coaching staff had a deal with Hassan Whiteside that essentially went Play well, play your role off the bench, prove that you can play within our defense and not go hunting for blocks, and you can have a, a feature role in the playoffs and, and a starting role on this team. And Hassan Whiteside did that. My question is, Hassan Whiteside is 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 vying for a new contract, and and as Michael mentioned, he's going to want to have a big role on offense where where the Heat want him to have a big role on defense. If that balance can't be struck and Spolstra has to send him to the bench again, I think that is going to absolutely shatter his confidence and really uh, put uh, some pressure on this Miami Heat team, on the chemistry, on the, on the way they get into a rhythm. I just think if Hassan Whiteside gets you know, one of these cases of a young guy getting into the playoffs, wanting to do too much to showcase his talents, that could be an area that the Hornets could exploit very easily to their advantage. I agree. He, he's young and his, his game isn't mature. And then he's all over the place mentally. He's a, he's a, he's a really good talent, but you know, some some days he's going to show up and, and and sometimes he's not. And and what I think Charles should take advantage of, I say one when Al's in the game, definitely feed it to him. And I say take it right at him because if you because we know if if Kimball Walker's driving right at him, he's going for the block. He's not going to turn down a block because he's a guy that looks for stats. If you could find a way to to get him in foul trouble where where Spo has to sit him, that's huge because he can he could be one of those guys that say you know what they they need me I, I picked up some fouls you know if you you don't want to put me in the game that's fine 
I don't care. I, I can leave this place. And once you start getting into your own head and, and start thinking about yourself rather the team, I think that's when Charlotte wins. So I think this is one. He's going to have to be careful because he's trying to get paid and he's a tremendous talent. But if there's a time for him to lose his cool, it could happen now because the playoffs is, is just solely not always about you. And you got to think, I mean, they have Joe Johnson. They have Dwayne Wade. They have Luol Dang. They have Goran Dragic. They have guys that can go get buckets that don't necessarily have to give the ball to Whiteside. So I think this you're definitely going to see um, his mental capacity get tested whether he's getting the ball or not. Good stuff. Let's uh, turn our attention back to the Hornets and back to the Hive Talk Live hotline. Joining us now, Spencer Percy, editor of QueenCityHoops.com and former uh, host, but he's an alumni. He's always welcome back here. Spencer, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. What's up, fellas? Well, we just got all done with smiles. A, uh, all, all smiles. It's playoff basketball. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina. Uh, we want to start this, Spencer, with playing a little word association. So I'm going to throw a couple players, maybe a coach, maybe a team out there, and just give me a word or a phrase, and then maybe just a little explanation on these, and, and we'll kind of rapid fire through these. We'll, we'll start with the captain, Kimba Walker. Uh, leader, um, grinder, uh, uh, let's see, perseverance, a few words that come to my mind. Perseverance, that's a good one. Why do you say perseverance? Uh, I think that guy, especially this season, I think he's he's really turned the corner with his career in terms of, you know, shooting the basketball, being more efficient at the rim. Um, you know, his assist-to-turnover ratio still continues to be one of the best in the league. But I think offensively, uh, we really saw him turn a corner this year. He's just been so much more efficient, and he's really entered that, you know, probably that top 10 tier of point guards in the NBA, and it's uh, it's been fun to watch. All right, next one. How about Al Jefferson? Oh, um, well, in this series, I'm more positive on him. I, um, I would say uh, Bruiser. Well, Bruiser's not. I, scratch that one, not Bruiser. Um, finesse, uh, old school. Those are probably the first two things that come to my mind. But that's a guy who's going to be able to get on the court in this series that probably would not have been able to get on the court as much against uh, maybe maybe Atlanta. Um, so I'm pretty high on Al Jefferson going into the series against the Heat. I, I think that Hassan Whiteside is going to have to uh, he's going to have to show a lot more patience than, than maybe he, he usually does in the NBA because he goes after a lot of blocks. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting the way that Clifford and Spolstra move the chess pieces in this one because you you have Spolstra and maybe that's why he moved to Son Whiteside into the into the starting lineup to begin with because you know he knew that there there was an opportunity for this matchup, but I like the word finesse for Al J. It wasn't even a word that I was thinking of, but it so encap encapsulates some of the successes that he's had this season, but also some of the struggles because I think. You know, Al Jefferson having the injury and then the suspension and then having to play off the bench, he's had to make a lot of adjustments. And when things haven't been going well underneath the basket in the restricted area, he's turned to that finesse game, the jump shot game, the the, the push shot game uh, to to varied success. But I think I think it's fair to say that over the past couple of games, he's had a couple of dunks. I mean, he's turning back to that physical basketball that really takes Al Jefferson's game to the next level. Yeah, yeah, Doug, and I, I think what's key for him too, because he struggled for through so many you know ebbs and flows of the season. I think he's trying to adjust to the offensive, um, you, you know, changing of his team. You know, the offensive blossoming, I guess. And Al Jefferson can't be afraid to take over. You know, and I, I feel like he tried so hard to pick his spots this year, and that really affected his you know his efficiency when he had the ball down the block. But I mean, I, so you saw last night against Orlando, and then the other night against Boston. I mean. It looked like 2013-14, Al Jefferson, he was taking over the game in the offensive end, and we're going to have to, Charlotte is going to have to play like that in the playoffs in stretches, especially against a team like Miami that's going to make you play in the half court. He's not, he cannot be afraid to take over the game and eat the ball on the block a little bit. I mean, the Hornets have a better chance probably when he does that with confidence. All right, we'll go through the rest of these kind of quick. Uh, Jeremy Lin, first word or phrase that comes to mind when you think of Jeremy Lin. Oh gosh, uh, streaky. <laughs> but when he's good, he's really good. Man, I'm telling you. Is that off limits on this podcast? I don't know. I'm probably gonna lose about 200 followers after that. Oh, yeah, well. I don't streaky, but late. But re- you know, recently he's been really, really good. 
uh, he's coming on at the right time. So, but yeah, that's the first word that comes to my mind, streaky. Steve Clifford. Uh, basketball savant, genius. Um, I mean, the guy knows his system. Uh, he sticks to the script. I mean, you look at a team like this year's that you thought, you know what, they're going to be better offensively, but there's no way that this team isn't a bottom 10 team defensively. Well, another top 10 defensive performance over the course of a regular season. Just amazing. I mean, he gets guys to buy in. Uh, he holds them accountable, almost like a college program. And, uh, I mean, what he, he he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. There's absolutely no question about that. Here with Spencer Percy, editor of Queen City Hoops, playing a little word association. Final one, we'll go with the opposing team in this first-round matchup. What do you think of when you think of this year's version of the Miami Heat? Uh, I think deliberate. Uh, I think this is a team that, that needs to execute. Uh, they, they have to get stops. The game has to be played at a half-court pace. Um, and they want to send everything, you know, they want to send everything to Hassan Whiteside, and he can clean it up inside. So uh, I just think that this version of the Heat, Unlike what we've seen in the past, uh, of course, with LeBron James, Dwayne, and Chris Bosh playing together, you know, very deliberate, a different style of game, and uh, one that the Hornets are going to have to adjust to or, or figure out how to take Miami out of that style. Yeah, really two opposite styles. I mean, three point uh, three pointers attempted. The Heat ranked 28th in the league. The Hornets ranked fourth in the league. Uh, definitely a slower brand of basketball in Miami, though it seems like, Spencer, there's a little bit of a war going on in Miami ever since. Chris Bosh uh, went uh, down with that the, the blood clot situation. He hasn't returned to the lineup. Doesn't look good for his return uh, in the playoffs. And, and there seems to be a war going on in Miami versus uh, with Goran Dragic playing a faster, up tempo kind of game, or the game that Dwayne Wade likes to play and that Joe Johnson likes to play, which is isolation, deliberate half court, like you mentioned. What do you think uh, poses the biggest threat? to the Hornets' defense, an up-tempo Miami Heat team or a deliberate half-court offense from the Miami Heat? Uh, I mean, I, I think a, a half-court deliberate uh, offensive attack for Miami. I mean, you look at Hassan Whiteside, he's a tough matchup just because of how big he is. The Hornets really don't have a, a physical presence to match up with him. Um, you know, they, they have one-on-one players that can just, you know, ISO the hell out of you and Joe Johnson and, and Dwayne Wade who can just get buckets. And really, so really, you just look at those three guys and you see three guys that can probably go get a basket when they absolutely have to, um, that the Hornets just don't have. I mean, the Hornets, the ball has to fly around for Charlotte, has to touch a lot of hands, there has to be a lot of cutting, there can't be standing. Um, you know, the Hornets got to execute with the ball moving. So, you know, I think Miami gets this series uh, slowed down to a half-court um, setting, I, you know, I, I really think that favors the Heat, and I don't know if this thing gets to seven, uh, if that's the case. Yeah, and that's I think that's why when people say Nick Batum being healthy is so important for the Hornets, it's really essential if the Hornets have any chance at beating Miami. I think that's why they say that because Nick Batum is one of the few options that the Hornets have on offense uh, that can that can come in back you down get a bucket in an isolation situation, doesn't need the ball necessarily fed to him. So, I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I, in between, so he's so versatile. He's so interchangeable, you know, on the defensive end. I mean, you can you can slide him on weight if you need to, and obviously you can move him over to Johnson or even allow him. Um, and, and so I think that his presence is key uh, to, to how far the Hornets are going to go in these playoffs and, how successful they're going to be in this series. So, um, you, you know, you just got to hope that the ankle is not as bad as maybe it looked uh, when I saw the replay the other night. But he said he's going to play. So the Hornets definitely need him. Uh, of the five starting lineup matchups or the bench unit matchup as a whole between the Hornets and the Heat, which do you think provides the Hornets with the greatest source of advantage, either on the offensive end or the defensive end? Which matchup do you look at and go, yeah, 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 the Hornets could really – could really expose this to get a victory? Uh, that's a pretty good question. I think um, I think that Kemba has a good chance to get the better of Drogic. Um, Drogic's a little bit of an inconsistent defender, um, and Kemba's been good against Miami this season, uh, especially shooting the basketball. So I, I think 
I think that's a, a matchup you look at and think that, you know, the Hornets have a pretty good chance in. I think that the Marvin Williams uh, versus whoever the stretch four is for, for Miami, um, you know, it could, could be dang in situations. Might even be Joe Johnson in some situations. So I think that Marvin has, has a, plays a huge role uh, in this series. And I think when he's guarding a guy like dang, I, I think that takes a lot of pressure off of him and allows him to focus. Uh, on the offensive end, which is where he's been of such great value to the Hornets this year. So I think those two matchups kind of stick out to me the most. I mean, I think Al Jefferson could, could get Whiteside in, in some trouble uh, in some games. I think that that's probably going to need to happen for the Hornets to have a chance. Uh, that's another interesting matchup. So those are a few that kind of stick out to me. Yeah, and I just I look at, especially when it comes to guard play for the Hornets, the Hornets just have so much quickness, and yet you look on the other side of the floor – and the the Heat have guys that can pose elite defensive challenges, especially uh, the new guy that they added, Justice Justice Winslow. I did it again, Justice. I always do it. But they don't turn you over very much. The Heat aren't really an elite team when it comes to turning the ball over. They just they just keep you in front of them, and and that's posed challenges for the Hornets in their four matchups this season. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, and, and too, I think you look at you look at something off the bench for sure. Like you look at a Jeremy Lin coming in, um, going up against you know either a, a Josh Richardson or a Tyler Johnson. I mean, I think you'd have to favor Lin in that matchup. Um, so I, you know, I think the Hornets are deeper than Miami. Uh, I think if Charlotte's starters are able to cut even or, or come close to that over the sample size of the seven games, six game series, whatever it is, then I think the Charlotte bench can propel them over the top. But I, I think it's the starting units. How do they match up and who, you know, who gets the, who gets the best of the other uh, starting unit is really going to tell the tale of this probably of the series. Spencer, what's your favorite thing about NBA playoff basketball? Uh, the defense. I mean, the, the intensity level um, notches up. You know, teams aren't – there's not as much running up and down the floor, getting open threes. Um, you know, guys – got to play half-court basketball. And, and guys are communicating. They're playing physical. Um, they're just not missing any steps, you know, and they're not skipping steps in the playoffs. So the intensity level just really notches up. And uh, and I think that – I think the Hornets have the mentality uh, to be able to make that adjustment. And they certainly have the coach who preaches that over the course of an 82 game season. So they should be well uh they should be well tuned to go up against Miami and, and have a good chance to win this series. Uh but you know, I, I'm afraid this thing might come down to home court advantage. So the the Heat have had basically a, an eight uh, an eight man rotation for the past couple of weeks. Spolstra has whittled it down and you know he, he's not afraid to sub a guy in and out of that eight-man rotation, but it really has been eight-man. Whereas you look at the Hornets and they've run nine guys pretty consistently. And you know Clifford, it seems like the kind of guy that is not afraid to make a minor adjustments to minutes based on who's playing well together. You know what's what's being successful. Is a guy going to get more fourth quarter minutes this game? But he hasn't made you know rash changes to the lineup, uh, starting lineup changes, anything like that. Uh, you know, deep rotation. He's he's subbed in Lamb and and Daniels. Uh, do you think that that Clifford or that the Hornets will be in danger of not being able to adjust to whatever Spolstra? Because I, I just feel like Spolstra has a trick up his sleeve. Do you feel like the Hornets will struggle to adjust to that? Uh, uh maybe. I mean, I think and Clifford might have some things up his sleeve too. I you know, I think Spolstra probably the only thing we haven't seen from Miami is Spolstra may try to. Uh, implement as maybe some kind of small ball fold that that we haven't seen yet. But but you know even even then, I mean, when you look at the Hornets from top to bottom, you look at their roster. I mean, they are they're as versatile as it gets. And again, what I said earlier, they're just so interchangeable. Um, so I think it's really hard to to get the better of them uh, on the offensive end, unless you're going to throw it inside and just try to kill them with size which they very well may try to do. And I, and I don't know that the Hornets can adjust to that. But, you know, on the same token, I don't know if Hassan Whitehead's that kind of guy. I mean, he's just not the type of player you throw it into and let him go to work. Um, so it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting series. But, Doug, on paper, 
you know, I, or looking at the rosters, looking at the rotations, I, I don't see necessarily anything that the, the Hornets could not match, I guess. Um, and, and, and I don't know why Miami would try to go small, uh, really, because to me that would just play into the Hornets' favor and, and make it harder for Miami to play their style of basketball. So I think you see a lot of white side. I think you see a lot. Maybe there's one fault. Okay, if there's one thing I could see Miami trying to do more of, it's going after offensive rebounds maybe. Maybe creating second chances and trying to wear Charlotte down on the glass. As good as Charlotte is you know, on the defensive glass, um, Miami's a pretty good rebounding team, and they're a lot bigger than Charlotte is. So they commit to sending two every time, maybe to the offensive glass. Um, I think that there might be an idea that they could wear the Hornets down. Um so that would be one thing, but I, but I don't really see much. I think this is this series is kind of right out in front of you, um, and the fans and the players and the coaches pretty much know what their teams have to do to win the series. I like that fold. I like the offensive rebound play for Miami because both of these teams, not not teams that really traditionally go after offensive rebounds, the Heat ranked 22 in the league this year, the Hornets 28, and the Hornets are a, a really good defensive rebounding team uh, they rank second in the league in, in, in holding teams away from offensive rebounds. But I think that's a tricky number because I've seen several games that the Hornets have lost because they've just gotten uh, beaten very badly on the, the defensive boards. Maybe across an entire 82-game season they've been disciplined. But there have been, and I think of games of, uh, with teams that are over 500 that have been able to expose uh, what I've been calling just a, a little bit of a lack of physicality underneath the basket when you talk about Zeller and Jefferson really the one guy I think and and I think could play a, a role in this series if that indeed does happen with Miami going after offensive rebounds is a guy like Spencer Hawes who is not afraid to mix it up not afraid to get physical could, might be a little insane <laughs> I think that's a guy that the Hornets could look to I don't know yeah Maybe I'm crazy I mean, just, well I mean yeah just for no other reason than to go in there and and send a message. I mean, you know, he's really, no, that's great. Yeah. He's really like the one guy that can go in there and do that. The the send a message guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you need that in the playoffs. I mean, you you saw it last night in in Boston when Miami and Boston almost, you know, got into a scuffle. I mean, it's here. The intensity is up. The energy is up. It means a lot to these guys. And, uh, yeah, you're right, Doug. I mean, Hall's could be that guy. I think Marvin Williams has got to go into this series knowing, you know, hey, I'm Garden Ding. Uh, that that may not be as as you know as uh, energy sucking on the defensive end as a lot of matchups that I've had. But I got to go in there and average even more rebounds than I averaged over the course of this season, which was a really good clip. So I think that's the one thing Marvin really has to understand. Because of your point, I mean, the, the Zeller, Al Jefferson. There's no there's no center down there who's going to gobble up ten a game for the Hornets. So it has to be a team effort. But I think that's the one fold Miami might throw him. It's just sending an extra body in there and, and really making them work. Spencer, I'm getting word that we're the only two people bringing up uh, uh, Spencer Hawes' name as a possible <laughs> as a possible key to this uh, Miami Heat series. So you know what that means? It means uh, you and I have taken a ferry to Spencer Island. I play the music. Stauskas Island? Is that what you said? No, it's, it's Spencer Island. No, it, well, yeah, it was Stauskas Island, but but then Stauskas, yeah, yeah, yeah. he had to he had to go. He had to go to Philly and, and figure some things out. So now it's Spencer Island. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Spencer, right, so enough. much for joining us. We really appreciate it, my friend. Real, real quick, prediction on the series. I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to say the Hornets get one in Miami. I'm going to say Charlotte wins this thing 4-2. I like it, Justin. Real quick, prediction on the series. I'm going Hornets and six as well. Uh, Hornets and I'll give you Hornets and six. I'll go with that. Wow, look at that across the board. Um, Spencer, we really appreciate it. Editor of uh, QueenCityHoops.com. And if you if you want to come, listen, if you want to come to Charlotte for one of these games, we'd love to have you in studio. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm going to try my best uh, to make it down there. All right, Godspeed, fellas. All right. Again, Spencer Percy on Twitter at QCH Spencer. Good stuff, man. Yeah, Hornets and six. I, I think, I really think that there are some there are some cracks in, in terms of youth, and I've been I've been uh, touting this for for a couple of as we talk about you know which teams pose a threat, which teams should the Hornets look at as as a, a possible advantage, and I just think the youth on on this Miami Heat team could present an opportunity for a Hornets team that is not youthful. I mean, it has it has experienced players who have been through a lot. 
and it has players that have a little bit of playoff experience in Courtney Lee and Al Jefferson that has a little bit, a little teeny bit. And Dude. Kimball Walker had a series. I mean, they, they have a little bit of playoff experience. Experience is huge. Um, you know, there's just something about Charlotte, maybe because we're in Charlotte, but I feel like, I mean, just multiple people have talked about how versatile they are, and I think that could definitely play a factor. All right, that'll do it for us Hornets fans. Thanks so much to our guests, Michael Wallace from ESPN.com and Spencer Percy from QueenCityHoops.com. Follow us on Twitter. Again, that's important, at High Talk Live, because our schedule may get a little funky as we as we work to cover these playoff games. At Hive Talk Live, Facebook and Instagram. Go to atthehive.com for all the latest news and analysis on your Charlotte Hornets. Listen to ESPN 730 AM anytime, anywhere at ESPN730.com. For Justin, I'm Doug and producer Katie saying stay bought in, stay believing. All hail the teal and purple.